0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Culture Hour. I am your host, Shelley Smith, the proud owner of Premier Rapport, where you know everything about what I do and passion, culture matters. You know, culture isn't built in a day. Culture is built every day. So today, I have, uh, I've actually been talking about uh, Kevin Hancock for, gosh, maybe the last month on a few different podcasts that I've been on and or that I've hosted and some interview pieces. And if you're following me, this isn't the first time you've seen me raise this book, The Seventh Power. So I am really thrilled and super excited to have Kevin Hancock on today. So I'm gonna read his bio for you. Um, So you've got that. So some good, uh, good background. Uh, Kevin Hancock is the CEO of one of the oldest companies in America. Hancock Lumber was established in Maine in 1848. Today, the company grows trees, Manufacturers lumber for global distribution, provides building materials, construction services for contractors. The company has 550 employees and is a six-time recipient of the Best Places to Work in Maine Award, which, hence, one of the big reasons why Kevin's on the show today. Kevin is also the recipient of the Ed Muskie Access to Justice Award. Habitat for Humanity, Spirit of Humanity Award, Boy Scouts of America Distinguished Citizen Award. In 2010, at the peak of the national housing and mortgage market collapse, Kevin acquired a rare neurological voice disorder called, and I may not say this right, spasmodic dysphonia. SD. Did, Kevin, did I even say that close? How do you uh, really say it?
1: Close. How? Asthmotic dysphonia. But we do say... S-D for short, that's easier. Uh,
0: Good, that's way easier. (laughs) Um, uh, With his own, when his own voice became weakened and developed, he developed a new leadership style based on strengthening the voices of others, which I love so much. He is now a champion of work culture, Where everyone leads and everyone has a voice is trusted, respected, and heard. I love that. Kevin, one of my favorite sayings is to say that we all need to be seen, valued, and heard. And so when I saw the trusted, respected, and heard, of course, I love that. Kevin is a frequent visitor to the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in South Dakota. His first book, Not for Sale, Finding Center in the Land of Crazy Horse, won three national book awards. His current book. was just released hot off the press the seventh power one ceo's journey into the business of shared leadership i love it so much kevin is on today i have not read i'll tell you i've not read all of it but and i don't know for those of you who are watching um you can see i already have all kinds of bookmarks and tidbits um into it because i i just think it's it goes to the center of everything that i personally believe as well and it takes empowerment and servant leadership on a whole nother level and i love it so kevin what is it that i didn't tell the viewers and the audience about you before we kind of get into your book and all the wins that you have um that you're achieving right now with this philosophy
1: well i'm super honored and humbled by the way you introduced me shelley i think you pretty much covered it thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm really happy to be here with you.
0: Well, I'm humbled that you're on and I'm thrilled for the viewers and the listeners to hear about this. So obviously, uh, you know, I have to say whether you would or not, a part of this style that you are doing had to have been hidden inside of your soul to begin with, or you would not have have, uh, I think, embraced it as much as maybe you have or as quick as you had, regardless of SD or not, but that's just my outside unbiased view that it had to have been inside of you and it's simply been awakened. So why don't you tell us a little bit about either your journey, um, kind of the core concepts of what the seventh power is above and beyond what I described, but really get into all of the wins that you've seen inside of your organization.
1: Sure, let me uh, just start with the, the journey, a quick summary. So in 2010, uh, during the peak of the housing and mortgage market collapse, I began to have trouble speaking, something I'd always taken for granted, never thought about it, done a lot of. As a CEO, you might say your voice is your primary tool. And suddenly, I couldn't really use it. And long story short, in terms of an example that really tipped my thinking about leadership in a very different way, when it's uh, difficult to talk, you develop strategies for doing less of it. (laughs) And my my primary strategy at the time was to answer a question with a question thereby putting the conversation back on the other person. So someone would come up to me at work with a question or a problem, and previously I would have given a CEO-directed answer to that question, but I now simply started saying, that is a good question. What do you think we should do about it? And while initially, this was just a voice protection strategy, in time, what I saw really intrigued me and excited me, and I would summarize it this way, people actually already knew what to do. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: They did not actually need a top-down solution to the vast majority of challenges that they faced in the course of a workday, they already knew what to do. And that got me really excited about this idea of shared leadership and creating a culture where everyone felt safe to trust and use their own voice and to help lead the company uh, from wherever they were within the organization.
0: How did you begin to shift the, um, I'll say your immediate direct reports to obviously start to use these same techniques because it's, you know, I want to make sure that the viewers and the listeners understand that these are not things that happen overnight. It's an absolute intentional shift. So what are some of the things that you did with your direct reports to help them?
1: yeah that's such a great question it's such an important point uh we've been working on this culture chip now for a decade and i would say it took several years before it really tipped in a powerful way but in summary what we started asking our uh, managers to do and our supervisors what's to think differently about the nature of leadership, that leadership was something to be dispersed, not collected. Mm-hmm. And we really started talking a lot about uh, restraint as, the key, as a key leadership concept. And I, and I think of restraint as having the power to make the decision,
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But not making the decision, essentially having patience for process and creating space for dialogue, and everyone uh, having the opportunity to participate in key discussions around. Uh, the most important aspects of the company's work, whether it's strategy or best practices or whatever the case might be. So try to get our managers to start managing others a little bit less is is kind of counterintuitive Mm -hmm. uh, change that we began working on. Giving people more space and opportunity Uh, to lead themselves or in their work groups.
0: That completely makes sense. And I, and I get it. And I appreciate you being very transparent that it takes time. Like you said, you've been working on it for a decade. And I, I found the companies and the the owners that really, really get that workplace culture is what thrusts them forward in the thriving stage, you know, out of stabilization and thriving, are the ones that are far more agile and have the shared leadership and understand that there's always something new that we can do, that we can learn, that we can shift. And uh, clearly, you you are a living example of that. So, let me ask you this: um, Out of the team that you had, kind of uh, the direct report team, the number of you know, deemed supervisors, I guess, people managing people, I'm always curious, did any of those numbers shift from an organizational chart to where they are today? Does that question make
1: sense? It does. We we have, uh, we definitely have fewer managers and supervisors today than we would have a decade ago. So we've been able, to really flatten the organization and to eliminate um, some layers mm-hmm. in that traditional structure. I would say we probably um, decreased it, it the, man, the size of the management team probably by a third or more over the course of a decade. <laughs> Just naturally, there was no big move that triggered that. It simply was over time that once everybody, um, once we started realizing that we wanted everybody to lead, it actually took less management structure to govern that Mm -hmm. (laughs) than it did to to more tightly control what people... Up. we're doing
0: yeah the self-regulation begins to kick in uh to that point correct so with that um i'm also always curious about the longevity of the team members so you know the number of years that your typical employees are you know in you know working for you now has that also expanded and the turnover or the ease of filling positions has that also become easier because of this style
1: yeah, so our, our company has always been a place where people tend to come and stay for a long time, but our turnover has uh, definitely improved substantially across the the decade. It's been running around 15%, which is a, a really good number, you know, with 500 and Fifty employees at any given time now we we typically would have less than ten job openings so yeah these I think one of the key points is a lot of these ideas that we 're talking about are um, idealistic in a lot of ways, but they 're also exceptionally uh, practical in the world today where people are mobile and they can. They could choose where they do and don't wanna wanna work. I think it's pretty self-evident that people would rather be a part of a community where their voice uh, is trusted, respected, valued, and heard, and where they feel empowered and served, um, as as individuals, where they're taking more than just economic value from their work experience, which I think is one of the big, big uh, opportunities for change, is to start thinking about, uh, in addition to the economic benefits, the non-economic benefits of work and what work can bring to people from the perspective of uh, self-esteem and self-actualization and purpose and confidence and and meaning and empowerment, all of those things.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. It it takes in the entire perspective instead of a singular survival perspective, which is what most people think about from jobs. Um, what is and you may have just you may have just answered this. What has been the biggest eye opening or aha or lesson learned over the last decade for you
1: well, I would say that it's uh, it's easier, much easier to share power and disperse it than to collect it as I stand back and look look at our. Corporate transformation uh, which started with personal transformation you know job number one was that I had to um, look at myself and change and become a change that I that I wanted to see but that uh, really keeping tight control at the corporate bureaucratic center at Surely it's hard work that requires lots of structure <laughs> mm-hmm. and lots of energy and activity uh, it, it once you make that leap to trust the idea that everybody can lead mm-hmm. and that power is something to be dispersed and shared uh, management becomes a lot easier, and it becomes uh, a very different uh, exercise. When everybody's leading, it's lighter for everybody all the way up and down the value stream.
0: I love that. So the stress level, I would think, where people think that it becomes greater, I'm hearing you articulate it actually goes in the opposite direction once you lean into the shared Power the shared leadership. Am I getting that right?
1: Yeah, t- yes, totally. And the other thing we found, I and I often make a point of talking about this. I think one of the worries about about a shared leadership, dispersed power approach to governance is that that will mean um, a lack of discipline or chaos or or a bit of anarchy like everyone just does whatever they want what what we found happens is the exact opposite that people are much more willing to support that which they help create Mm -hmm. and when people are participating in talking about core values or best practices or uh disciplined systems, they are much more apt to support all of those things in a a deeper, more powerful way. So our uh, productivity, our accuracy, our commitment to best practices all have strengthened by allowing everyone to have a voice in creating and improving them.
0: No, I totally, I totally get it. I have been on a, a mission for a decade and in leaning into it personally more to create, I call what you just described of what does right look like inside of your organization. And I do that and help clients create um, culture playbooks. So I don't know if you have those or not, but you know, not the, the HR manual of policy procedure, but What do the behaviorals look like that stand up our shared purpose? Um, What are those characteristics and behavioral alignment for mission, vision, value? You know, what does it look like, sound like, feel like? What do we believe when we communicate, when we work as a team, when we problem solve, when we innovate? And you're right, when I cannot stress enough for anybody listening, when you are a part of it at any level of that creation, it is the house that we built. And you want to protect that house with everything that you believe, so again i I love that so much, and definitely encourage the viewers and listeners to read your book to to better lean in and if they 've not created their culture playbooks um, that they they absolutely need to do that because it it seems like it's hard and it seems like it 's the harder way, but as you said it 's quite the opposite it 's quite the opposite i Some of the the teams that I work with have found, I I will say that during these times of of COVID-19, the ones that were already doing what you were doing are not freaking out as much because the team is coming together with new ways to do whatever, products, services, communication, shared roles. And it's amazing what's coming out of the crisis. People are stepping up even further because they've been valued, instead of you know shutting shutting down so what are um are there any specific tips or mindsets for people who are thinking about this more agile type of model that you can you know give them to kind of help them shift their mind to tiptoe into the water if they've not done that yet
1: well that's a great question uh one answer to that, to me, would be, uh, I think it's really healthy here in the 21st century to pause and think about what the very purpose or mission of work should be, and to aspire to something bigger and higher than just... um, all focus on serving the corporate profit model we we have changed the mission of our company (laughs) this is one of the big things that that sparked our transformation our first mission now is uh the people who work at the company to make sure they're having a meaningful experience to make sure that Work is valuable to them, and what we found is if you if you focus on that flywheel of corporate success at the point of the employee experience, Mm -hmm. that every other important constituent of that experience, including of course the performance of the company itself, will improve. So I now like to talk about. Um, profit is a super important outcome of a higher purpose. So, I would say, in answer to your question, i think I think fundamental is to really pause, think about what the highest and greatest mission of a company can be, and to reach for something bigger than just the performance of the company, which is super important, Mm -hmm. but I really think um, it can become the outcome of a higher purpose.
0: Mm -hmm. No, I love that. Why don't you tell uh, us a little bit about maybe how you spend your average day, if there is an average day or your average week or month, just kind of what is your flow with your team?
1: Yeah. So one thing I joke about now, it's, there's not really very much for me to do. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a good thing. It's like, be careful what you ask for. You might get it.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I tell people I, as the CEO, I have tried really hard to make myself less important. And people in the company who have heard me say that now many times will jokingly say, well, you're doing a good job of that. <laughs> but... <laughs> Uh, but it is, uh, again, I never, ever, ever thought um, work management could become this uh, easy. And I loved how you made the point of uh, sick now during this very difficult time of COVID-19. So you think about this period of defeating that virus, Who has to be involved in making that happen? Every single human on earth has to be involved in making that happen. Who has to be involved in making that happen within a corporation? Every single employee that you couldn't do it centrally. And we have actually talked a lot about in the past few weeks how thankful we are that that we've been a decade into this power dispersing Mm -hmm. structure so that all across the organization, everyone's coming up with the solutions and the strategies to work in a clean, distant, safe way. And we've been able to. Figure out how to do every single job in our company uh, more than six feet apart. You know, ours is one of those industries where you have to come to work to do it. We cannot make lumber uh, from our couch in our yeah. sweatpants. We have yeah. to actually be there, yeah. to do it. And it's been super impressive to watch people find safe distance ways to do everything we do.
0: Mercy Day. I love it so much. Love it so much. You need to bottle everything that you're doing and get it out there for people to consume it. But it definitely starts with the mindset, which um, you you talked about your own mindset shift um, and then, you know, helping others to do that shift as well and all the essence. So as we go into a wrap, is there any Thing I didn't ask you that you were hoping I would ask or anything you would like to share from tips, tricks, resources, maybe mindful things, minefields to watch out for as you're trying to shift your own company. What, what do you have for us and final thoughts?
1: Yeah, my, I, I guess maybe two. The first is that that is the idea that leaders might consider spending a bit more time focused on themselves and a bit less time focused on others. When I was younger, I thought leadership was about paying attention to what everybody else was doing. And while obviously that has to happen to a degree, today, I really think leadership is about paying attention what I'm doing, and I love that iconic thought from Gandhi about becoming the change you wish to see in the world, and I found that that's the only real path to leadership transformation and excellence, is for leaders to learn to look inward, to focus on themselves, to become the change they wish to see in the world, and then create a corporate culture where others can do the same. The only person I can really consistently influence is myself. And when I got focused on that, again, the the work got a lot easier for me.
0: No, I love that. It reminds me of, and I don't know where I originally heard it, but we have to first learn it ourselves and then begin to live it to its fullest and then share it. And the sharing it is by you know our actions and how we show up. So I I heard you articulate learn it, live it, share it. Yeah. And, and it begins with yourself. So I love that. So um where is the best place? Um I am gonna anybody who is listening. Uh, to this, you're going to have to go on to, um, into the, the, the video or my website or to actually stop and look at the different links. But for those of you watching it, you can see that at the bottom of this, I've got some different links where you can further connect with Kevin and purchase the book. But Kevin, verbally, can you tell us what is the best place that we can go grab this book or your last book or to learn anything about what it is that you're doing?
1: Thank you. Yeah, so the book's available everywhere books are sold. It basically is on uh, uh, online at places like Amazon, uh, or you can go to my own website, which is uh, www.kevindhatcock.com com and you can order books there or you can communicate with me there you can you could email me or leave me a message and i always uh follow up i've tried really hard to make time to uh well i call it now learning to follow and in this case follow the book and to be available for people uh, who who find the book and find it meaningful and want to connect with me. I love, love it when that happens.
0: Beautiful. Well, again, our guest today is Kevin Hancock. His most recent book is called the seventh power one CEO's journey into the business of shared leadership. So definitely on my must read um, book that I'm recommending to you guys today. Um, And I definitely hope that you, you pick it up and that you lean into this thought process and the shared leadership and um, defining the new what's right for yourself and what right looks like inside of your your company so my name is shelley smith again proud owner of premier rapport where everything culture matters and as kevin articulated it begins with one thing and that's called people the human element that's never going to go away culture is not built in a day culture is built every single day Be well and be safe. And again, thank you again, Kevin, for your time today. We appreciate you.
1: Thank you, Shelley.
0: Thank you for joining me and another guest for the Culture Hour. If you want to go back to past episodes, make sure you follow the podcast on any of your favorite apps and devices. If you're looking for a daily dose, a little short snippet, Then all you need to do is hop over to the other podcast called Your Morning Commute. Thank you again for tuning in. If you're looking for questions, other speakers, more topics, by all means, reach out. Shelly at PremierReport.com. Remember, culture isn't built in a day. Culture is built every day. Are you spending your money and your time and energy on repairs? Are you spending your time and your energy defining and maintaining? Be safe out there.